Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Endless Borough podcast. You're all very welcome. I'm your host, Keith Russell, and on today's episode, I am joined by Anise McEwen, all the way from America. Anise was formerly a sports reporter and a sports news anchor on TV over in America and has recently changed roles, and she's here to tell us all about that. And she's also going to tell us about her struggles with depression. How are you, Anissa? You okay? Mm-hmm. Doing well. Good, good. Um, delighted that you're here today to share your story with us. Um, I know you used to work in the media at one stage, but you've recently changed changed roles. Um, yeah. And how has that been for you? Uh, it's been a life changing, and I don't mean this in a corny, like you know, lighthearted yeah. way. It's been a life changing experience getting out yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, into a different realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know I, I was uh, doing a little bit of social media stalking on your Twitter. <laughs> and I know you're pretty you're pretty outspoken about your mental health struggles in the past and mm-hmm. your depression. And mm-hmm. um, is that something that you find okay to talk about? And Absolutely. I, w- I want to talk about it, yeah. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And I was kind of wondering, has your change of, your change of kind of career path or your change of role, has that helped or has it kind of hindered it or how do you feel um initially i mean anyone who who knows me you know in the last year who knew me uh, you know i got as part of millions and millions of people around the world um you know i was laid off and it was more or less directly a cause of the the pandemic and and funding shortages and um so with that you're not, you're laid off for one reason and then you can't find a job for the very same reason, which is that there's just not jobs. There's not the money and people aren't flocking to sports, you know, uh, coverage or we're not, not even allowed to do it. So, um, I know, I know that, that my losing my job was the final straw, so to speak, um, where I fell very, very deeply, um, into my depression right. and, um, but changing career paths has been refreshing and needed and it's been everything I've ever wanted in a job and I just I didn't know that it that you could enjoy going to work as much you could be in a healthy environment like I just didn't think those existed because I'd only known yeah news media and how it is here yeah yeah and is that a fairly stressful job the in the news media um yeah you're you're fresh out of college, uh, they know that they have you basically where they want you. You're, you're overworked, you're underpaid, you're, um, you know, my first job out of college, I made 25 grand a year. Um, so if I didn't have parents who could help me with, you know, basic bills, I mean, I was, I I remember going through a Taco Bell drive-through one night and cause that's all I could afford. Like if I went out to eat, it had to be fast food. It wasn't going to be, you know, any sort of fine dining. And I remember yeah, looking for yeah. hiring a, a manager and they had the starting hourly wage. It was more than I was making with my college degree. Wow. You know? wow. And okay. yeah. along with that, you're working, you know, my hours were two or three in the afternoon to 10 or 11, sometimes 12, sometimes 2 AM in the morning. Wow, okay. um, what we were covering. So you're working long hours, you're working odd hours, you're working yeah. holidays. 
Um, you're often living in new places that you didn't just to get into the business. You have to be okay with living in, you know, podunk America, far away from your family. Uh, you yeah. don't know anyone. And then, you know, and then you're moving every two years because that's the only way you can elevate. They're not going to pay you more where you're at. You've got to go right. somewhere else. And it's just, okay. it's, it's not what people think it is. It's not what I initially expected. Um, and it takes a special kind of situation or um, person to stay in it to the point where it's worth everything that you sacrifice. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you feel that you're actually in a better situation now? I mean, as in you're an immediate coordinator. Yeah, I'm a communications coordinator or for communication, a right. private school here. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just a healthy environment. I had never had a boss who cares as much about me as a human, not as his employee, yeah. But yeah. not as his workforce, but as, you know, Hey, are you, you know, are you sick? You called him sick today. Are you doing well? Hey, um, you know, whatever time off you need, you know, don't overwork, take your weekend, you know, things, very basic things that should just be what bosses do. And I had yeah. never, I had been, right. You know, I'd ex- I've experienced, um, you know, sexist conversations with supervisors. I, you know, I have stories on stories of, um, you know, facing sexism, not only out when I was working in the news, but when I'd come mm. back and I'd need backup at my, you know, with my manager and I would experience it there in-house. So just yeah. to have a healthy environment where people are happy to be there, um, yeah. to be around kids um, is a whole different experience. And, you know, it, News too, around the world, news journalists, they're going through it mentally themselves, what they're covering, what they're seeing. Mm. And, um, you know, it takes a toll on you. I wasn't necessarily having to do that because I was in sports, but, you know, mm. it's tough seeing your coworkers go out nightly in bulletproof vests to cover riots right, and okay. have your, yeah. your workplace boarded up um, and things like that. You know, it was, I was grateful to be in the same position I was, but it, I mean, it takes a toll. It's, it's almost like you're in a you know, war zone that yeah, that's yeah. what I'm walking into every day. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that must be hard. And did you, did you have mental struggles before you were in the news or did you always, were you always kind of in the background or were you diagnosed or? I think I, I had episodes in high school, Okay. very mild ones um you know moments where i i now recognize my symptoms yeah and, yeah. and like yeah. how i dealt with it um but it wasn't until my first job uh in champaign illinois um and you know i just did, i didn't know anybody i was like i said not making any money mm. um i didn't have any family around i just gone through a bad breakup and um the really severe symptoms for me personally um, very depressive episodes. I sleep a lot or I don't sleep at all. Um, I can't eat, you know, and I, I tell people it's not like, Oh, I'm not really hungry. Like I don't eat, I don't eat. And my body doesn't, you know, there's so many symptoms with depression that people just can't fathom who don't have yeah. depression. Like, how, do, how do you not yeah. eat? Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't, I, I dropped 20. I think at that time, that episode, I think I dropped 25 pounds. Um, wow. Uh, which is a lot for me because I'm not real tall um, <laughs> um, and irritable, um, a lot of crying. I just, I was in a really bad place. And my mom actually came out from Oregon where, you know, my parents live. And she said, you know, have you ever thought maybe you have 
depression. She had suffered from depression. She still okay. does. But, and that's when I was initially diagnosed. So I was probably 22 when I was okay. diagnosed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And was it only depression? Like, did you find when you went into your first job and you started to feel maybe not depression, but do you, do you think it was anxiety as well? I, you know, I didn't really have much anxiety until this more recent. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. Where I so read- yeah. So you kind of, did you, could you suffer from anxiety after the pandemic once you were laid off? I think I, depression? Yeah. I think I, I initially kind of, it was the anxiety of how crazy things got this right. almost apocalyptic feeling of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and then obviously it was, it was an anxiousness for my for parents and right. for loved ones okay. getting sick, but also, you know, with all the racial tension that we were going on, especially in Louisville with the Breonna Taylor case. Um, it just, it, you could feel the tensions. You were seeing kind of an ugly side of people that disagreed with you. And, you know, yeah. I worried for my black friends here in America, you know, it was like, it felt like every day there was another murder and it just, yeah. you just worry. And it's like, yeah. I can't even feel okay. If you go get a soda from the grocery store, you know, is that going to be the time where you get, mm because you're black and you know you know and that's that pales in comparison to, to being a black american but yeah, yeah. that played into it i i know of the anxiety of everything is just crazy right now and i have okay. no control so would you find that you're kind of a warrior in general oh yeah yeah oh yeah i um you know i'm just people driving when they leave my house you know call me when you get yeah. there yeah, yeah i can i can work myself up pretty pretty well even in my best of days yeah yeah and do you find, would you do mindfulness now or would you kind of, like if you're feeling anxious or depressed, would you, would you try and like, use any tools? Um, recommend any tools? I, um, I'm a big Apart advocate. from the dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I really, um, I'm an advocate for, for getting dogs when you're in a really good place. Cause I think about when I was at my darkest yeah. I don't know that even her depending on me would have stopped me from the thoughts and the ideations I was having at that time, which is crazy to think about now. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things I think about during that time are crazy to think about now, but I honestly think like I, you know, I would have found some other situation for her and I would have probably carried out whatever I wanted to do if I didn't get help. Um, yeah. and, but, you know, anxiety now, I have a really a great medication that I use um, that I can't even think of the uh pharmaceutical term um that i take that just kind of you know mellows me out but um you know a lot of breathing techniques and um yeah Yeah. the the touch feel smell um, yeah 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 Yeah. uh, i'm also a big person that likes to just kind of remove myself i'm in a you know a a space that i'm uncomfortable in or i feel overwhelmed and you know take a break from remove myself from it if i can yeah um but I really haven't experienced a lot of anxiety since dealing with my depression. Right. Okay. And did you, I'm trying to think now, did you, are you, are you, are you comfortable talking about the, the darkest time? I like, I, like I said, I was kind of doing a bit of your Twitter stock and then I saw some tweets that you posted from, I think around, were they around February of this year? Mm-hmm. Or was it, you know, it was around February, wasn't it? Did you, you went into, you were a, a patient for, I'll let you explain a bit. Um, so to kind of give a little bit of, of background, um, yeah. I, I know yeah. my depression 
kind of kicking in. I was off medication. I'd been on medication before off medication. I was seeing a therapist at the time. Um, and it was kind of a series of events. It was a relationship ending. Uh, I had a good friend pass away. Um, and then I lost my job and it all kind of, it all came within like a two month span. So, um, I decided, you know, before I kind of reevaluated my life, I was going to go back to back home in Oregon. I was going to stay with my parents and kind of figure out next steps. Um, and there it kind of just plummeted when I was at home. Um, like I said, I, I stopped eating. Um, I was sleeping probably 20 hours a day. Um, not getting out of bed. Um, just very severe symptoms. I remember, you know, and, and when I get depressed, talking, you know, the, the exhaustive part of it that people don't understand, you know, like talking is even a hard thing to do when you're depressed, yeah. I, yeah. you know, I would, be, yeah. Yeah. I would recognize it and I would think, okay, I gotta, I gotta start doing stuff that my therapist was saying, you know, I gotta go outside. I gotta get out of bed, but like that alone, it's that's difficult. Yeah. it feels like someone's yeah. asking me to climb Mount Everest. Yeah. And there would be times I just look at my sister who was there in Oregon because she she's you know she was trying to kind of pick me up and I just would look at her and say like I can't I just can't have a conversation right now and it wasn't yeah. anything she was saying it wasn't the topic it just was like I just can't talk yeah. I just want to stare at things yeah and um, so my mom kind of talked to me about it and then you know I had a, a session with my therapist where I kind of explained you know I was going to the beach um, I grew up on the coast. Pacific coast. So I would go to the beach with the dogs and I started kind of thinking, you know, I'm like, you know, like the beach wouldn't be a a bad place, you know, to take my own life. You know, I could be here. My parents wouldn't find my body. Uh, I would be in a place that I felt safe at, you know, and I just kind of started like planning it out, you know, like this is how I would do it. And, and you take into consideration a lot of like how, okay, what's the best way that my family is least affected, affected by it, which is, yeah. There's no good answer for that. You're always yeah. going to yeah. harm someone um, emotionally. And so I just kind of was talking to my therapist about that. She said, I think you need to go and reevaluate your medications. Cause I started taking them again after I found out I lost my job. So in October, so this was November. Um, and so I told my mom, I said, I think I need to go see a psychiatrist. So we went to the emergency room in Oregon um, cha- uh, up the dose of the just uh, depressant, but I so medicine I was on mm-hmm. depressant. Um, and then I, you know, I was there for maybe eight hours. They did an evaluation. I spoke with a, a social worker. Um, yeah. and those, those are tough conversations to have when your mom's in, and you know, you're in a, yeah. first of all, you're in a blank room with, you know, nothing in it, but a sink and your bed and yeah. your mom's there. And the doctor is saying, you know, what are your thoughts? What do you, what, you know, and to, I know that was hard on my mom. I know that really yeah. was. Yeah. Um, and so I, I left from there, you know, I, I kind of had like a perk, like I felt, okay, my medications increase. I'm going to feel better. Um, and I kind of just told my mom, I think I said, I think I need to go back to Louisville and get my stuff together and move in with my sister here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I just, I went back to uh, Louisville and I felt really good because I was packing all my stuff. I was getting things done and I was like okay like I think I've got past the worst of it um and this whole time I've been applying to jobs but I hadn't really been like putting myself you know full force hours on end you know so um I moved down 
here with my sister and things were good. I had my nephew who just turned two. Um, and then I slowly, those symptoms start, you know, the signs start going and I, I would spend hours again in bed, um, sleeping. I wasn't eating, uh, crying a lot. Uh, and I just, I started again, thinking about, okay, how do I not do it in the house? And how do I not make a mess? And how do I, um, you know, let everyone know that it wasn't any, anyone else. And that's like a big thing is like, you know, people, when you come out and you say, I've had suicidal thoughts or I've attempted suicide or things like that, a lot of people think, well, yeah. why don't you come meet? And it's not, you know, no. people need to like get away from that. Like, why don't you come yeah. to me? Why don't you talk to me? It's not about you. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that I didn't think I had people to talk to. It just, I, I can't describe depression any other way than telling people that like, it's not perpetual sadness. It's a lack of any emotion, a lack of yeah. any feeling, a lack of, I'm like, imagine, you know, that first bite of pizza when you're really hungry, that feeling, or when you score a goal, when you're playing sports or you mm. see your significant other after lunch, I'm like that joy. What if your body just couldn't feel that? I used to describe it as like a walking corpse. Mm-hmm. When I, when I was younger and I had depression, like I would feel like I was just felt like a walking corpse. Do you know what I mean? Like you were like, you were there in body, but like there was nothing else there. Do you know I what think, I mean? It's nothing. Yeah. 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 You're, and you're not yourself and people who are close to you can see it. Yeah. Um, and I was inching closer back to where, you know, but it was worse. It was more like, I almost don't have the energy to try and, and commit suicide, but if I did, this is how I do it. And, yeah. uh, and my, my sister, my little sister finally came in when I was in my bed and I hadn't been like three or four days, I hadn't left my room. And she said, you know, get up, we're going to the hospital. And in my head, I thought, okay, this is going to be like Oregon. This is, I'm going to go in. We're going to reevaluate my medication. I'll go back. Yeah. I'll get, you know, I'll feel better. And maybe this time yeah. it'll work a little bit better. Yeah. And um, I went in there and this is a, a bigger area where I'm from is a small rural area. And so it's a big uh, hospital that we went to. And um, so I went in and they had me change clothes, which, which I'd done in, in Oregon, but they you know, took everything, took all my jewelry, and then they led me into this hallway that I immediately could see as a psych ward. And um, I just immediately went into panic because it is as terrifying as you think it would be to be stripped of any and all independence that you have as an adult. Yeah, I mean, yeah. um, I was put in a room that was like maybe eight by eight. Um, nothing on the walls. It had a, a bed that didn't have a pad. So you were basically sleeping on a, a board, um, had a TV that had like a, it was bolted into the wall. So you couldn't access anything. So you had to go and ask the staff, mm. Hey, you know, can you change the volume? It's like going uh, to prison. It's exactly like it. It's or what I would imagine, I guess. I'm yeah. 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 Like what I would imagine prison to be like. And yeah. Um, so I kind of sat there and I thought, okay, I'm just going to see somebody. This is kind of weird. I don't like it, but I'm going to see somebody and I'm going to leave. And, um, so the doctor, emergency room doctor came in and she said, we can't release you until you see a psychiatrist. And I said, okay. And she said, and that'll probably be tomorrow morning. And at this point it was probably seven or 8 PM at night. Um, and I said, no, 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 no. Like I need to get out of here. Like I, like me thinking, and I'm sure you, you know, Mm. 
recognize it too. Like being in a space like that when you're depressed is like instant panic mode. Because yeah. at least yeah. when I'm at home and I'm depressed, I'm in my room and I can control yeah. the TV. I can control when I get water. You're in your you know, safe space. Yeah. And I yeah. immediately had a panic attack. Yeah. She left the room and um, I, you know, started crying. I started, pay, you know, banging on the door. I was able to leave the room and I went to this office where the staff was. And I said, you have to let me call my mom. I have to, you know, I have to talk to my sister. It was at the hospital my sister works at. And I said, you have to let me call her. And they said, we just, you know, we, you can't call her right now. You can't talk to her. And I remember like kicking and screaming. And it was, you know, it was almost like out of a movie, you know, like where your yeah. life is just spinning around and I was kicking and I was saying, well, I need to go home. I can't, I'm not supposed yeah. to stay. And they said, we can't release you. You can't go anywhere. And it just like the panic you get when you're just like, what if they never say I can come out of here? Like, and I remember the two security guards that they had in there pick me up like by my arms. And I was like literally kicking and screaming back to my room, you know, crying, you know, I hadn't slept a lot. Um, and it was the worst and most traumatic experience I think I've, I've had in my life as far as feeling completely out of control. Um, and, uh, you know, you're sleeping, you're sleeping in rooms. I could hear screaming. I could hear yelling. You could hear people talk. I mean, you're in yeah. there as a person with depression with people who have schizophrenia, uh, yeah. bipolar disorder, and not that they shouldn't be treated humane either, but it just, it was overwhelming and terrifying. And, uh, you know, the next, I tried calling my mom all night long. I went back to the room because I, I didn't sleep. You couldn't sleep on those boards. Of course not, yeah. You couldn't sleep. Yeah. And I just remember, I said, I, let me call my mom. And I called my mom. And they said, mom, you got to get me out. Of I just thought that if I had someone on the phone who could talk to them, yeah. I could get out of there. And there, yeah. Tennessee state law, once you're admitted voluntarily or not, you can't get out until a psych, uh, psychiatric professional reviews. Okay. Right. Okay. So legally, they couldn't let me out no matter what I did. Okay. Um, and so at that point, I said some really like nasty things to my mom and to my dad and yeah. uh, to my sister. And I, you know, I told them, I was like, you know, when I get out of here, if I'm able to get out of here, you know, I'm never going to talk to you again. You're, you're dead to me. You know, just really like I was angry. And my mom finally said to me, she's like, you see this like fight you have right now, this anger. She's yeah. like, I haven't seen anything from you. And this gives me hope that you'll start fighting for yourself right now, okay. even if okay. your motivation is me. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the next morning about noon, I spoke to a psychiatrist who asked about it. And I was honest with her about the thoughts I was having and things like that. And um, she said, I, I think you need to go to inpatient care. And I said, okay. Um, let me just do it after Christmas. Cause this was maybe the 22nd or 23rd. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, just let me do it. You know, I'll do it after. And she said, no, no, no. You either go voluntarily or we escort you there. Jesus. Um, and so all that, you know, going on as I review back, there's a lot that's broken with, with America's health system and our yeah. mental health. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was taken to an inpatient um, facility from the hospital. Um, it was a three-day stay. Um, no cell phones, no electronics, um, just basically group sessions, um, terrible food. <laughs> um, <laughs> and 
I was, I was in there with, um, you know, people with severe anxiety, um, people with schizophrenia. Um, so is that, yeah. So is the, the, the hospital that you were in, is that, it's part of the, ho- part of an actual hospital, is it? Is it, or like, an, is it, and is it state funded or? It's like its, it its own, um, it's its own facility that right, does okay. both and outpatient care. Okay. I don't believe it's publicly funded, but I could be wrong. Um, okay. So there doesn't seem like there's many luxuries. <laughs> it, it seems like it's kind of the bare bones of, it actually just yeah. sounds like, a, as you were describing, I don't know why I was getting this um, a vision of in um, Sarah Connor in Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah. When, when they were kind of just lifting her up and kind of escorting her back into, I don't know why, but just, yeah, scary. Yeah, I, um, it, it's, I've never felt a fear like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, um, I really, because you really think, you're like, what if the rest of my life I'm in a mental institution? Like, that's where you go when you're in that situation. You're like, what if yeah. I never get out of here? Yeah. And um, so I, I did the three-day, three, three day and um, I think there was a, well, one, first and foremost, I met with a psychiatric professional who switched me from, I was on Prozac. And I switched to Zoloft and they upped my medication. Um, and they did that because clearly Prozac was not working. And that's, you know, and I tell people antidepressants are so tricky. You know, you've got to find the right brand yeah. and yeah. then you've got to find the right dose. And that, yeah. and unfortunately doing that takes weeks and weeks and weeks and sometimes months and months and months, yeah. but it's worth it. Yeah. It is so worth it when you find the right one. Yeah. Uh, Fortunately, Zoloft has worked great for me, and they decided to put me on that because uh, it had worked for my mom. It's what she had used uh, when she was on antidepressants. Um, so I, I take Zoloft. I take an antidepressant. Um, you know, I still see a therapist, but uh, that three-day stay was pretty instrumental and in maybe just a light bulb going off with me. Of, yeah. um, two main things with me that I know with my depression is, one, the guilt that I feel for my family, my friends of like, what am I putting them through? Why can't I just be better? Why am I such a burden financially or otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just the self hate I had for myself. And, and I think it's important that I talk about that, especially as a, as a young woman, because you grow up and you, you don't see a lot of women who look like me necessarily with depression, severe depression, where, you know, you just, I grew up thinking it was like an old man who just got his wife left in type of disease, you yeah. know, like that deals with yeah. that yeah. or people who have watched their loved one die or something like not someone who yeah. is young and physically healthy and has a good home, has supportive parent, not those people. There's not, what are they depressed about? Exactly. I was, yeah. I was reading one of your, one of your tweets and I'm, I'm, I think I'm on a screenshot. I don't know if it's the right one, but you were talking about kind of the, the stigma of, of kind of depression and mental health struggles in general. Well, it's funny because the last podcast I did, um, we were having the exact same conversation where what we were saying, it's nearly like people's people's kind of opinion of it. It's nearly like it's self-inflicted. It's like you don't get nearly the same, not sympathy is probably the wrong word, but you don't get the same kind of compassion as say, if you had a different disease, like say cancer or something where it's people think, well, it's not your fault. Where if you have kind of depression, it's nearly like it's self-inflicted. And it's, I think that's nearly where the stigma comes from because it's nearly so like we, it's. We took a ticket and said, hey, I'll take one depression and one, yeah. you know, one anxiety, please. Yeah. yeah, not, yeah. 
people who don't know it very well or who ask me about it, which I love like this, whole this, my experience has opened up conversations with people yeah. that are like, I don't get it. And it's like, just in the same way a diabetic's body can't produce insulin, my body has, yeah. Yeah, has a hard time per- making the receptors of happy connect to very simplify it. Yeah. And I, I need that medication to make those things happen. So I am myself. So I am normal. I, yeah. I physically can't, can't make myself do it. Granted, yeah. there is things in life that kind of propel you towards your worst yeah. case scenario. Yeah. But I tell people, this is something I'll have the rest of my life. I'm always at risk of falling back into that state. Fortunately, now I know what signs and what things work for me and, and things like that. But it's it's a chronic disease. You don't get rid of depression. You don't yeah. cure it. Treat yeah. it. Yeah. So do you, would you do you have any triggers? Like any major triggers that you would... I know you said you kind of removed yourself from a situation. Would it be like... Would you find that work would be a major trigger for you, or would it be more being out of work? Do you know what I mean? Like where, yeah. or it could be both, I suppose, couldn't it? Um, you know, it was funny because for so long work was the steady thing in my depression right. that okay. kind of kept my head above water because right. I had somewhere I needed to be. I had to people people who were dependent on me. I had you know responsibilities. I had to meet goals for myself and for others. And when that was kind of taken away from me, I just felt like everything I'd done in my work career was like for nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I made all these sacrifices. I'd worked all these hours. I, you know, all these things that I'd given up and like, here I am yeah. 26 living at my parents' house. You know, yeah. I just felt like I had failed and right. that my purpose and my reason for being around, if nothing else was gone. And so that was the major thing of like, what's the point anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do you feel being on social media? I mean, because I know we have a, like a blog up on the, on the website and it's from a, a very respected journalist in the UK. He writes for The Telegraph and he wrote a really good um, blog for us, kind of given the other side of things. So he, like he, he reports on Manchester United and, and football and stuff like that. And he would post, and not just him, but he would post a like an article on Twitter. And if people don't, you know, if people they don't like it, you know, you know the abuse that some kind of journalists get from fans. And I, like you have to be quite thick-skinned about it. And obviously, it will affect some people more than others. How do you feel being on social media? Maybe not now, but maybe before. Did you ever get anything like that on oh. social media, or was it? Yeah, all the time. Oh, really? All the time. People that I would um, irritate with my, I don't want to say, you know, the, the t- we call it political beliefs, but it's like, right. no, they're, they're humanity beliefs. Mm. They're beliefs that yeah. you can't just treat people however. Every person is born with a basic level of decency that we have to treat each other with. Yeah. And stripping any one group of that is, for me... It was not how I was raised on my religion. It's not how I believe we should live. And mm. um, so, but I, those types of things, you know, um, supporting Black Lives Matter, you know, I got yeah. backlash for that. Really? Um, anytime I would highlight and say, wow, you know, look at women. It's, oh, why are you going? Women are always complaining. You're always, you know, and it's like, yeah. no, we're complaining because it happens. You know, if you're yeah. tired of hearing about it, imagine how tired we are of experiencing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm very like vocal about what I care about and what's important to me because I think 
you know, it's that, that saying, if you don't stand for anything, you'll, you'll fall for anything. Exactly. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so, so I, I remember like, this is the first thing that comes to mind, but I had made some posts um, in support of, of Black Lives Matter or something to the effect of, of supporting the Black community. And I instantly was got, I don't know if it's a bot or just some troll in his mom's basement that, you know, made some connection to, you know, pornographic material of white women with black men. And so it was just, you know, that's, that's the immediate thing is uh, physical attacks on, on how you look, Hey, you're fat. Um, You're not that pretty. Uh, Nobody likes you or it's, you know, going after your sexuality or, you know, making, insecure men will instantly go to, I'm going to talk about her sexuality in a derogatory way. This is how I'm going to knock her down is make her feel like a whore or it doesn't work on me as I. Okay. So you'd be quite mentally strong in, in that way as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was my own, it was my own talk to myself. Okay. Yeah. Um, And I finally, like I said, when I was in treatment, I finally kind of had this moment where I was like, you know, like, here I am talking about how we treat others and the basic level of decency. And I speak to myself in a way that I would never talk to anyone else. You know, I would, I would never say the things that I say to myself to someone else, you know? Um, And it was like, that has to stop. Like you have to first apologize to yourself for putting up with that, for putting up with treating yourself like that. And then you have to make a promise that you're never going to let that happen again. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a daily thing. We sometimes I get in my head about it and it's like that, that Anise that woke up in treatment is like, we're not doing that anymore. We're not yeah. talking anymore to ourselves because it's yeah. one, not true. And two, it's harming you. Yeah. Cause they always say like, if, if you heard, if you like, you speak to yourself only, but if, if you had a friend who was in your exact, in your exact situation, would you say to them the stuff you say to yourself? Like, of, of course you wouldn't, you know, yeah. it's hard to kind of, to look in the mirror and, and be able to say those things to yourself, you know, it can be really, really tough, you know, but the it, fact that you really, yeah, go on. Well, you know, it's, it's such, you know, fortunately the self-love thing is kind of more of what we're seeing um, in the media of, of, especially with women um, and particularly a woman of color and um, you know, this basic sense of worth and beauty and things like that. But it's like, until you decide that that's how you're going to be yourself, it's like kind of all, you know, before that, if someone had said like, Hey, do you love yourself? Do you treat yourself? Well, I would have been like, yeah, you know, and looking back, I was like, no, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't nice to a niece. Like, yeah, yeah. I was hard on her. Yeah. I suppose like you you can be nice yourself on the outside, but you're not really nice yourself on the inside. I mean, like Mm -hmm. you can get nice clothes and you get haircut and all that type of stuff, but you know, you're, if you're not going to, as you said, if you're not going to talk to yourself in the right way, you know, you're only doing half the job, I suppose. Yeah. And how are you feeling now? Are you, I mean, like it's, you're in your new job three, four, five months now or ish. Yeah. I started at the end of January. Um, okay. Right. Like, yeah. Been a complete different environment for me to be, be in, which has been super healthy for me. Um, and it's, it's such a core like value of mine that I align with that particular school of just being kind, yeah. loving, doing what's right, doing what's hard, even when it's, you're doing what's right, when, even when it's hard. Um, and not all the other BS that we seem to get with religion. Um, 
which has always been hard because I was raised, you know, very religious, you know, every Sunday I had to be at church with my parents. Um, and now I kind of, it's like, I'm getting more back in touch with my religious ideology, um, which is good. I, that's kind of a foundation for me of just feeling that center. Um, but also just, you know, I'm in a better place. I'm, I've recently moved into my own condo. So, you know, um, I, I have my dog. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm in a really, really good space. And, you know, I know I attribute that to, you know, first and foremost, my, my family, um, it it took, I know it was very hard on them, you know, when they had to put me in an uncomfortable position because they were at that time out of options, you know, they felt, um, and I, that was a conversation I had with my mom of, you know, I kind of needed an apology after that experience because, it really did mess me up for a little while that just the experience of not going to treatment, but the way I got to it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and my mom said, you know, I, I didn't intend for that. We, you know, we didn't know exactly know that's how it was going to go. Yeah. Um, but I, she, as she said, I had no other options at that point because yeah. I had been in that state for so long and there was no coming out of it at that point. Um, so I'm just, it's just, as I tell people all the time, it's just weird to think back to that time because it just feels so foreign to me, but, um, you know, it's like, I experienced things like during the day. And I think, man, like five months ago, if this had happened, I, I would have been done. I would have been done for the day. Yeah. That's amazing. The fact that you even have that now, that's amazing. It just shows Um, you like the progress you've made. Yeah. And I have a, a really, the best therapist I've ever had. Um, okay. Yeah. You know, and I, I credit her for, for being the one in that initial time in Oregon to say, Hey, yeah. you need to go to the hospital. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, I finally had medication that is working for me. And yeah. Uh, and do you I, have a good support structure around you? Oh, That's absolutely. Very important as well. Um, I have so many good friends. Um, great. And I, I'm kind of glad I'm doing this because after a while, I just got tired of talking about it and explaining it. And yeah. so I'm hoping that this kind of yeah. fills some, vo- fill some voids or questions they have because I know they have it, but they just don't know yeah. how much you can talk about it, how many questions you can ask. But, um, yeah. you know, I want anyone to feel comfortable because um, there's, a, there's a, a line with depressive people that only we understand you know when you start talking to someone who's who suffered from depression they mm-hmm. say or say things that it's like yes you know yeah. like i can't no one else gets that the yeah. way you, depressive people do yeah I've, I've definitely found that where you you definitely pick up on things from other people that others won't i definitely have mm-hmm. found that definitely you know yep. definitely and then we'll let you go because you're probably got loads of <laughs> The talk has probably wrecked the place on you now. <laughs> um, you know, she's been running around chewing on things, and I think great. So she has, yeah. <laughs> Whatever she's got to do. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say to anybody? Is there any message, or there might not be, but is there anything that you want to say before we go? Or the the two things <laughs> that present with me with that I'm thankful. I mean, I really do have the best mom in the world. Um, yeah. The two things she said to me that always kind of stick with me and stay with me. The one, the first being, you know, you have to find that little bit of hope and you yeah. have to hold on to it because yeah. you get 
so dark and you get so deep that you think there's no hope left and you have to find that little bit and then you have to fight for it. And that's what I tell people when you get depressed and when you get a depression, you can have the best support system in the world, but you have to fight for you. And you have to say, I'm tired of feeling like this. Mm-hmm. You get so wrapped up. In it, it's never going to get better. It is. I'm living proof. I was, you know, five months ago, I was planning how I was going to take my own life. And now I'm here thinking I would never in a million years. Yeah. And so you have to find that hope. You have to hang on to it and you have to fight for yourself. You have to be your number one advocate. And whether that means I'm going to go, I'm going to figure out a therapist who works for me. I'm going to keep going to my doctor until we find the right medication, the right dose. Um, I just want people to feel like, you know, there's, there's something worth it. Cause you lose that when you're depressed, you lose the worth part and you have to know that coming from someone who was right there, you know, reach out to someone who can help. And those people, you know, people go, what is, what's the best thing I can do? You know, my sister, I think my sister has depression. I think my, and I said, sometimes we know we need therapy or we know we need medication, but the simple task of picking up the phone and getting an appointment or going online and getting an appointment is daunting. Oh God. Yeah. 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 And I said, you, the best thing you can do, if they agree, if you say, Hey, will you you consider seeing a therapist? And they say, yeah, if you sit there with them and you call for them, you go online for them and you get that first appointment, that's huge. That first, that first initial thing. If you want to feel like you did something, that's the biggest thing. Cause I feel like yeah, hopelessness when you're a family member of like, I I can't do anything. I can't put a cast. Yeah. If you can, I think that's one of the best things you can do is say, Hey, we're going to do this. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree with you. When I started to spiral, if I hadn't been for my wife actually picking up the phone and ringing the doctor and not dragging me, but nearly holding my hand and bringing me to the doctor, I don't know where I'd be now. So I one hundred percent agree with that. Absolutely, it's really, yeah. really true. Really, really true. And maybe we leave it there. It's been yeah. really, really good. I actually really enjoyed that. Brilliant. Yeah. That's really, really good. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll leave it there, guys. Uh, thank you so much, and I'll talk to you all again soon. Thanks, guys. So that was my chat with Anise. Um, I just want to thank Anise for taking the time to do the podcast with me this week. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was very refreshing to hear Anise speak so openly and honestly about her struggles with depression. And the podcast will be coming out soon in the next couple of days. Um, guys, I just want to give my social media channels a little bit of a plug as usual it's the endless spiral it's at de endless spiral on instagram twitter and facebook the website is the endless spiral the endless spiral.com we also have a youtube channel which i will be putting this podcast up on the youtube channel very soon if you want to hop over to the youtube channel and search for the endless spiral and give us a subscribe we would be very grateful for that so guys we leave it there and i'll speak to you all again soon bye for now